Star Wars 7x7, episode 3025. A couple of months ago, I had a conversation with Chris Kemshaw, the author of The History and Politics of Star Wars, and one of the things we talked about was the fact that the Andor series looked to be very interesting from a political and historical perspective, and so now that we are halfway through the series, I thought to myself, hey, let's see what Chris has to say about it. So today, the first of a two-part conversation with Chris Kemshaw, the author of The History and Politics of Star Wars, about the Andor series so far. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So here's the official line on Chris Kemshaw. Chris is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Exeter and a senior research fellow at the Center for Army Leadership, Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. He is a historian of the First World War as well as popular representations of history in modern media. He has authored numerous academic works including the First World War in computer games and British, French, and American. American relations on the Western Front 1914 to 1918, as well as the recently released History and Politics of Star Wars, which, by the way, we have a 25% off discount code for you if you would like to pick up a copy of that for yourself. That will be at the blog post for this show's episode at SW7X7.com and in the show notes as well, along with the link for where you can pick it up. And as for the conversation, I was interested in hearing how he was reacting to the Andor series so far, both as a fan and as a historian. We talk a lot about the Empire and the Preox Morlana folks. We talk about Mon Mothma and the burgeoning rebellion. There's also a lot of talk about our current political situation because as we note in the conversation, there seems to be a lot that can be very reflective of contemporary politics. And yeah, this is gonna get serious at times for sure, but there's also gonna be some lighthearted stuff as well. There's a lot of laughter in this conversation and we get to share our mutual like for Perrin, Mon Mothma's husband, and <laughs> that's great fun as well. And we'll also talk about where we think this series is going. So without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with Chris Kemshaw, the author of The History and Politics of Star Wars, about the first half of the Andor series. Let's do it. Chris Kemshaw, thank you so much for coming back and joining me on Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me back. I'm I'm back to either enhance or ruin Star Wars for everybody, depending on your, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Well, the last time you were here, you were here to talk about the history and politics of Star Wars, which is your excellent new book. How has that been going for you? It's been out a couple months now. I think it's been going well. Um, it's really hard to tell if you know how many kind of copies are, are being sold in any given on any given moment. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you feel like a burning desire to go out and buy five copies of the same book, then by all means, be my guest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I haven't had you know too many people sending me like angry messages, and I I take that as a pretty good rule of kind of how well it's being received. That I haven't appeared to make too many people wildly angry. So. <laughs> and I guess you haven't had any uh, political action committees buying um, dozens of reams of boxes of books to resell and give out at events then? No, disappointingly not. Um, although, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know how much people keep an eye on, on the UK politics over, over there in America, but we're going through governments faster than we could print those copies of the books. So... Um, <laughs> I did see something, um, uh, and I'll you'll have to forgive me, but it's a finance person I think was being sacked today. So, yeah, um, if I caught yeah, that did. correctly, 
Oh, good fun. Good fun. Well, we are here to talk about politics. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, so I think we can talk about this stuff because we're here to talk about politics. But, you know, uh, and we are going to get into real world stuff like this, too, I think, because I I don't think there's any avoiding it. I think what Tony Gilroy is doing and everybody else associated with the Andor series is just completely invested in politics but politics across a, a couple of centuries it feels like yeah. of of inspiration so um that's why i've invited you to come back on the show and i'm so grateful that you said yes and so why don't we just start with the just the overall like how are you enjoying andor as a fan and then also we'll get to how are you enjoying it as a historian um there's an element of those two are kind of like and what people have to bear in mind is that everything that I'm going to say from this, you know, this entire kind of interview podcast is coming from a little kind of ball of slightly burning annoyance that it didn't come out <laughs> a year ago. Um, it would have made the book a lot longer, but it's, it's really good. It's really good. Um, I mean, there's, there's a freedom in being able to watch it and go, I don't need to pick this to pieces to try and turn it into a, into a writing thing. Um, I'm really pleased that they released those first three episodes as a three episode release thing because that mm-hmm. initial arc is a is a real slow burner, um, and it works yeah. if you then watch those episodes all back to back. But I I worried about you know how people would have kind of received it if it had been you know divided up by week by week by week, but it's a it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Um, mm. There's there's just there's, there's loads in it even in the moments when it doesn't appear that a lot is going on. And I think that the the layers of kind of interest for me kind of sprawl out in all directions. I mean, when, when I was last on here, one of the things I said to you was, you know, I really, really want to see what lo- the Empire looks like from the inside. Yeah. You know, what's it like on Coruscant? What's it look like on, in kind of the Outer Rim and the like? And some of what I expected is definitely in there, but the things that are different to what I expected them to be are really interesting. Um, in a sense, that makes a real perfect amount of sense that you would structure the Empire's relationship with planets like that. And it's fascinating that you've decided this is the direction that you'll go on. Um, it's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, wait, having to wait now every until every Wednesday for the episode to come out, that's, <laughs> that's an annoyance I don't need in my life. Just, just, <laughs> just, keep, just keep them coming, please. <laughs> yes. It is, uh, yeah, this whole model of them figuring out, oh, we shouldn't be dropping the whole series at once. We should be stringing it out to keep people subscribing and whatnot. I guess good for business, but bad for our desire to just, ah, give it now. What am I supposed to do on every other day? Do my job? That doesn't sound like a a reasonable thing to ask of somebody. I I mean, that's why I have a daily podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'll fill the time up quite nicely, but God, the yeah we're so far away from the next episode it's very annoying it is and it's going to be a whole new thing because we're talking we're having this conversation after the second story arc has been completed so now we have something resembling closure and i'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit later but i I do want to take you up on something you just said which is that you know the depiction of the empire has some similarities from what you expected to see but also some differences as well and i'd love to hear some of those you know, some of those similarities and differences, like what, what are you seeing that you expected? 
first start. I mean, when we when we did this a couple of months ago, and I think you know the conversation we had was you know is it out on the outer rim, stormtroopers and tie fighters and star destroyers, and just basically being stamped in the face for all eternity, um, and wondering if that's what it was going to be going to be like. And there's an element of that, you know, nobody out on under Imperial Rule is having a great time, but it's not no. stormtroopers in the in the streets. It's either, um, as we saw on the, the recent arc, it's kind of Imperial Army troops around the kind of an Imperial military base. Or what I find really interesting and fascinating is the Empire has outsourced tyranny to mm-hmm. assorted kind of corporate police forces who will do the annoying administrative legwork of keeping their planets running and ticking over and you know nicely oppressed because they don't want the empire to come down there and do it for them um mm-hmm. and they've set up this really kind of interesting model of everyone is trying to avoid the empire getting involved in their business and mm. the way to achieve that is to basically do what the empire would have wanted you to do anyway um Ugh. Which is which? It's it's. I think we we kind of briefly maybe spoke about it on Twitter. It's a very East India Company um, portrayal of kind of organizing and administering an aspect of the empire. Of you know, you 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 don't want the guys in charge to come down here. So you know, like the middle management of oppression are going to take things from here and hopefully keep things ticking all over and the profits rolling in and never really getting the attention of anybody big upstairs because you you don't want to get the attention of the guy who who works upstairs because if the guy who works upstairs knows that you exist he's going to come down here um and he's going to nationalize your planet um which is exactly what happens at the end of that third that first arc those first three episodes and then into the into the fourth episode of the empire just comes down to the planet and goes you've you've screwed it up it's you're out and we're in. Thanks very much. Um, you know, I've had to come down and clean up your mess. And now I'm going to have to go and find a bunch of stormtroopers and all of this type of stuff. I, I find that element super interesting because one of the lessons that we get from history, particularly if we take the British Empire as an example, running empires are just hellishly difficult and complicated. <laughs> and there's paperwork and there's red tape and there's finances and you know you need to have a whole human resources department and nobody wants that um it's far easier to just outsource it and that's what the galactic empire have done they have outsourced running sectors of of the galaxy to to people who will basically bend over backwards to do a variety of deeply unpleasant things simply to stop the empire coming down and doing it themselves but how much would you say that is a function of and I've seen comments online suggesting, for example, that the that the emperor hasn't necessarily completely consolidated his power. And so, you know, here we are, we're essentially 14 years after the fall of the Republic. And maybe the empire simply doesn't have the capacity to be able to stomp on every single planet. So their goal, it seems like, ultimately is to be able to stomp on every single planet. And they're happy to use these folks like the Priox Morlana people as proxies for the time being. Um, but... Yeah, and they step in where they have to, basically. And also, with Ferrix, when the the Preox folks mess that all up, even what we see on Ferrix when the Imperial Security Bureau officer is in there and he has an officer from, you know, apparently from the Navy who wants to be made a prefect, but we're not seeing a lot of Stormtrooper presence no. there to get started. And I thought that was kind of fascinating, too. They're really being, uh, you know, approaching... 
with a light touch as far as the actual military element goes so far. Yeah, I think I think all of that is is true and interesting. I think probably there there is an element of the empire isn't maybe I mean you know it's not like the empire has you know another show in town that they need to worry about. But maybe <laughs> the empire isn't yet kind of as all-encompassingly secure to want to take over everywhere all at once. You know, they're going to divide their attention up and use these proxies basically to buy themselves time. You know, at some point, Ferrix would have fallen under the control of the Empire anyway. Um, it just so happened that it, it was today because you screwed mm. up and you got the attention of the guy who works upstairs. Um, right. But I, I like the idea that um, stormtroopers are kind of existing elsewhere. They're doing something else at the moment, whether or not that's kind of aggressive expansion. But even then, I started thinking about that. And I what I started thinking about was Solo. Um, and you think, OK, maybe the stormtroopers are off. You know, they're they're shooting people in the face doing what stormtroopers do. Or, or more accurately, they're shooting entirely around somebody's head yes. um, <laughs> and, and doing something more important. But then I thought, well, in Solo, in the battle on Mimban, there aren't any stormtroopers. Right. It's all That's army right. troopers. So maybe the stormtrooper corps is still being kind of built up. They're still, you know, maybe they're manning the fleet and doing other bits and pieces. Um, so maybe what we're seeing at the moment is this kind of increase in the size of of, of the army um, as a kind of as a force to you know to occupy and garrison, and the stormtrooper military aspect is something that is either being continually built up maybe that would be coming out in the bad batch season two um to an extent oh, yeah. um, and maybe you know even within the kind of the elements of the empire maybe you know there's a guy who works upstairs from the guy who works upstairs and he's the one who's going to bring the stormtroopers down you know you can put up with me and this you know idiot prefect and our army troopers and you know if you don't cause any problems everything will be fine but if you do cause problems we're gonna to have to go and get a bunch of stormtroopers, and do you want that? You know, a bunch of stormtroopers walking around doing the doing all your stuff. And I'm wondering if this is how the empire operates. You know, there are, there's always oh, another worse thing that could befall you if you cause problems, and it always escalates up and escalates up and escalates up and escalates up. Um, yeah. And if you consider rebels, you get an element of that as well, because you've got you know you've got the governor of um, Lothal, who is doing all right. of the things, you know, she's a fairly ineffective politician, but she's doing things so that agent, you know, governor, the, the sector governor price can go off and, and do bits and pieces. But if, if you mess up, well, now, now you've got Grand Moff Tarkin and the Inquisitor down here. Is that, is that what you want? Oh, well, actually you, you, you continued causing problems. Well, we'll go and get Darth Vader down. Is that, do you, you want him to come down here? Is that, <laughs> is that what you want? And there's always like a worse option to try and keep people in check. And I, I, that's a really interesting way of approaching it. And I think, I think your thoughts on that are going to be borne out because stuff that we've seen in teasers and trailers that hasn't yet come to pass in the series involve uh, Dendra Miro showing up with Death Troopers on Ferrix, and I think there are scenes of Stormtroopers marching on Ferrix and Star as Destroyers. Well. We haven't seen any Star Destroyers yet either. No, that's right. Yes, there is some sort of, uh, I want to say it's an interdictor type cruiser that um, that Luthan Rail takes on. There's some sort of dogfight. He shoots a TIE bomber in one of the trailers yeah. or something like that. So yes, you're right. And even um, the the head of the ISB, Major uh, Pedagaz, uh, if I've got that right, you know, there, he has a little speech to all of his ISB agents and he talks about, you know, we're, we're a healthcare agency. Like we diagnose sickness and treat sickness. And if you want to do these other things, call the Navy, like they'll handle it. But yeah, you know, 
it's definitely pushed off to the side as that as as you say you know this is the next level this is the next level and you know keep pushing us and we'll keep moving to that level it also suggests a, an element of self-awareness i had not previously given the galactic empire as an organization mm -hmm. that maybe the easiest way to maintain order is to make people think they're not being ruled or not being ruled in a in a one in a manner that massively disrupts their lives and that you know mm. maybe the slightly lighter touch of those proxies you know who are still doing what the empire wants anyway is just the path of least resistance to occupy a world and the understanding that you know if you do put star destroyers in orbit and if you do put stormtroopers on the ground and you do put tons of tie fighters in the air eventually people are going to notice that you're here and that's going to cause problems so maybe there's an element of of pr to the galactic <laughs> empire that I hadn't necessarily ascribed to them. There's a really good bit in one of the Dr. Aphra um, comics that was one of like the first kind of series of hers that she, she ends up talking to the head of Imperial Propaganda, who basically mm. has this long speech of basically saying the emperor makes ruling the empire much more difficult because, you know, he's always ordering another genocide or another massacre and something like that. And it becomes really hard to sell that on TV. So maybe there <laughs> is this kind of understanding that, you know, to rule an empire in its in its early stages is a PR exercise. And the empire is slightly aware of that, whilst at the same time, you know, still wanting to rule everyone like a god. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that's a great point. And I think something that happened with uh, the most recent episode where the commandant of the Aldani garrison is talking to the colonel who shows up and he talks about the, the manipulation efforts that they have been engaged yeah. with, with the Dani population and how, you know, it's really about, you know, working with them psychologically to get them to do what they want rather than the completely heavy handed situation of, you know, the, the boot to the face. And so, yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And there's stuff that bears it out. And another thing that happened there too, I was just rewatching this with my son, this arc actually, and Vel talking to Cassian about the fact that Aldani is, uh, you know, I'm going to botch the line, but, you know, too far away from some stuff and not far enough away from everything else. And it makes yeah. a perfect distribution center if you're going to take over the galaxy. So, yeah, they are at the point where it's still in progress. And you've mentioned East India and I mentioned East India. And for those folks who aren't familiar with the East India Company, do you have a, a thumbnail explanation to provide and how it might be a parallel to the empire at this point in time yeah so basically the east india company is a kind of a, a capitalist business model that the british empire turned india over to because running india is in, you know, difficult and expensive and complicated and you know the british empire run out of london is trying to rule over an entire empire so they decided as they're basically you know going to pillage india for all of the stuff that's in the ground anyway it would be far easier to just turn it over to their own private business um, and basically privatize that part of the uh, of the British Empire and run it for profit. So the East India Company runs the trade um, and it kind of trade boats all the way out to kind of China and Japan and other parts of Asia. And they're basically like a proxy for the, the wider British Empire, but they have their own internal system, their own internal ranks, you know, they're, they're, they're run for the profit of the company and for the profit of the empire. Um, and they exist as kind of like a buffer between direct British imperial rule and in, the, the company rule of India. So there's always that element of, well, you could do what we say, or 
we'll just we'll just post this off to London and then we'll see what they say. Is that what you want? And then you get that same element to it again, which which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, God, it is just incredibly layered, as you say. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, we have this nascent rebellion happening. And I, I would love to take a moment with you about Nemec and his absolutely <laughs> brilliant monologue in The Axe, <laughs> the Axe Forgets. Um, that one, you know, as we talk about the East India Company, which was in operation in like the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, obviously that is looking way back in history, but the conversation that Nemec has with Cassian feels so immediate, it's just stunning. Yes. How, what, what do you feel about that whole situation? So his, his whole thing that, you know, it's easier to hide behind, uh, you know, a hundred atrocities than, than one. Um, and that the, 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 the pace of oppression is, is happening faster than we can react and understand it, or it's, it's words along to those extent. Firstly, yeah. I thought that was an astonishing thing to have in, you know, if we strip Star Wars down to its base level of, uh, you know, a pew pew sci-fi show. Um, <laughs> but it has, that idea alone has a variety of kind of historical um, comparisons that you can make and, and a ton of contemporary ones. I mean, I've seen people and I, I originally thought myself, um, there's a there's a huge element of Stalin's quote in there that a million deaths, you know, a single death is, is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. At a, a certain point, you you reach a point where, or you reach a moment where the sheer scale of something happening renders you unable to react to it uh, in anything on, outside of a kind of a, a detached um, aspect. And the idea that um, things, you know, if, if a single thing is continually getting worse, people notice, but if lots and lots of things are getting worse people's reaction is basically to just try and survive and ride it out um you know each individual only has so much energy that they can spend in any in any direction um and if you look at a variety of kind of historical dictatorships who are doing you know rounding up of people concentration camps murders new political rules um you know rounding up of um opposition party members you know if we even if we take the nazi Reich, you've got um Jews, gypsies, communists, homosexuals, um, anyone who isn't a Nazi, basically all being, you know, rounded up in different ways with different laws and like, and, it, and it's too much. It's too much mm -hmm. for anybody to, to, to cope with. Um, and this attempt to kind of almost kind of ring fence off all of these atrocities and suggest that there is no links between them. And, you know, it's just, that's what's happening to them. And that's what's happening to them. There's no correlation between, between all of them makes it makes it difficult at times for people to build some kind of mass movement of sympathy for and before you know it everybody else you know everyone's gone and you never really got the chance to react to it and that's a kind of a, like a historical examination of it the contemporary stuff is super interesting to me um and if you take a, like a media studies approach to this of let's let's think about newspapers you know Newspapers get printed every day uh, with news in them. You know, we all understand <laughs> the concept and we all buy them. But there's a finite amount of space in a newspaper. Yeah. So if you have one scandal, it makes the front page. If you have 10 scandals, some of them are going to end up on page 12 and no one's going to read about it because there isn't room. 
Um, there's there's a there's a moment in the TV show which I a TV show which I love called The West Wing, where they talk about on Fridays they throw things out with the trash. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, it's the day to release bad news because it all goes out at the same time. There's it's still a finite amount of column inches, and it ends up just disappearing out into the ether, and nobody gets to gets to recognize it. Um, right. And I think there's there's a huge element of that in there. You know, if you release all of your bad news all the time, constantly, how much is anybody going to be able to take on board of it? You know, there have definitely been, I think, examples in fairly recent history. If we take the 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 interview with uh, Tony Gilroy and the others, I think it was Tony Gilroy who said in the lead up to it, you know, this is a show which is a comment on Trump's America, I think there is an element of, I can see echoes of this in a constant wave of things every day. Here's a new thing, here's a new thing, here's another tweet, here's another story, here's another scandal. And you can't react to it. There's, it's too much for any individual to be able to go, this is the most important thing. This is the thing that I have to deal with. And I find that idea of, if, again, if we link it back to you know the, the PR of the empire, of everything all the time at once and we will just bludgeon people into depression and resignation at these things whilst at the same time they acknowledge that this could be worse the, the army troops could come down here the stormtroopers could come down here there is always a level to which this could get worse so you're either trying to batter people into submission and resignation or just acceptance just accept that this is the pace that things is going to happen and just hope that it doesn't get worse and there's something you know it's a, it's a deeply depressing vision of the empire and if you know we take it as a comment on real world stuff you know it's a pretty depressing comment on the real world and historical empires as well and it, that doesn't mean they're not right um, I think there's I think there's a lot of of very savvy acknowledgement going on in that, and I've spent a lot of time just thinking about that monologue since it happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, knowing that you have the benefit of a you know deep, exhaustive examination of various historical time periods, what is the avenue of hope? in this time like what does that look like and certainly for the andor series it's pockets of rebellion here and there and maybe that is you know the way to go about it maybe you know in our contemporary time it's pockets of you know a different kind of rebellion as it were because i don't think we're at physical fighting yet knock on wood yeah but um but they're you know, we've been through as a, you know, as a people, as a world, some very difficult times and situations, and yet have managed to find our way out of it. So what's, what's the way out in, in the Andor series, in the fantasy pew pew world? I think, and this, this possibly ties into, I might be answering your, your prediction of where this is going um, a little mm. earlier than intended. Um, oh, that's fine. What I think is happening with Andor is that all roads are leading to Gorman and the Gorman Massacre. Um, now, the oh. Gorman Massacre is, yes. in the old expanded universe, was a thing where Grand Moff Tarkin landed his spaceships on a bunch of protesters and crossed them to death. In the <laughs> new canon, I think it's changed ever so slightly, but the Gorman Massacre is something that still exists. 
Mm-hmm. Mon Mothma has mentioned Gorman three times, I think, so far in the series. Um, yes. Twice with family and once in the Senate, in, to a Senate that was effectively empty and there was nobody on that central pedestal either. Um, mm-hmm. So the Senate is purely just talking to itself. And then at the end of uh, the eye, um, those ISB agents will get called into that briefing and he's like, this isn't a meeting. You're going to, you're all about to, you're not, none of you are leaving here tonight. <laughs> I want your every planetary retribution plan in this building on my desk by midnight so what i think is about to happen or what we are building to is the idea um that the empire is now going to put across and that i think mon mothma and um the various kind of kind of rebel with a small r i think at the moment rather than you know capital rebel or capital alliance right to realize is there is no such thing in the empire's view as a bystander um, and I think that mm. the response from the Empire of what has happened is that they're going to make an example of a planet they are already making an example of in Gorman. And there's going to be something awful is going to happen there. And everybody who kind of conducted the heist, you know, the survivors who conducted the heist, effectively Cassian, is going to realise that whatever he does is going to have repercussions somewhere and is going to be used as, as an excuse to do what the Empire was probably going to do anyway. And Mon Mothma and the others are going to realise that you can't have an isolated rebellion. Um, it's, you know, the, the Empire will widen this if you don't. Um, so I think that the end of this series is going to be something around the Gorman massacre and that realisation that actually you can't negotiate your way out of this. And you can you can think about, you know, gathering up money as much as possible to pay for your actions. But the Empire will make examples of planets for the actions of other planets, you know, basically in a bid to, to, to kill off solidarity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, oh, you, you think you were, you know, you, you weren't involved in this horrible, in this, this bank heist. You think you're, you therefore you're, you're fine about this. Unfortunately, we operate a, a kind of a one for all policy here. So, mm-hmm. you know, Dave across the street robbed the bank. So we're going to burn your house down. Um, and that's, I think that's how the Empire is going to deal with this, you know, crushing overwhelming force to suggest to people that unconnected doesn't exist. And the realisation, I think, therefore, for Mamothma and the rebels is that connected has to exist. You can't do this in isolation. It might end up with isolated rebel cells, but mm-hmm. you can't you can't run this out of the back of some guy's antique shop. You have to <laughs> you have to understand that rebellion doesn't take place in a vacuum um there will be consequences and those consequences are going to happen whether you want them to or not so i think if we think about when we when we meet and or in the beginning of rogue one when he's basically talking about you know i've I, you know first thing you see him do is shoot a guy um and all of his <laughs> mates are like yeah we've done awful awful things the acknowledgement that awful things are going to happen whether you want them to or not and therefore, on some level, guys in the Rebel Alliance are going to have to do awful things and then live with the consequences of that. So I think that's probably where we're headed. Um, if it turns out that I'm right, I will obviously, you know, declare myself as a, as a prophetic <laughs> genius. If I'm wrong, we may have to dramatically post-edit this, um, this interview. <laughs> I, I like that. And I, I, do, I do think that's a really you know, astute observation, quite honestly, and especially picking up on how, you know, Star Wars will drop these little breadcrumbs here and there, and it often means something further down the line. So I I do like that bit of speculation very much.
All right, we're going to take a pause there and we will pick things up on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. For now, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for this episode. As always, and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and/or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited. Other respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.